All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. All right, you guys, on the line, I've got Ben Freeman from the Quincy Institute. Responsible Statecraft is the name of their website, responsiblestatecraft.org, where he writes great things. Welcome back. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing great, Scott. Always a pleasure to be talking with you. Great. Happy to have you here. What a great piece you wrote. How weapons firms influence the Ukraine debate. Well, come on. Aren't they bound by some sort of honor system to stay out of the argument about whether we should be, um, you know, shopping for their wares? Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Scouts honor. The, the defense contractors are always going to do the right thing, right? Yeah. Um, no, but so you're telling me they would be so cynical as to finance the think tanks that recommend that the U.S. government purchase big ticket items from them? Right, right. I, I would tell you that. And I know, that, you know, this is a topic that, that I'm sure is not going to surprise any of your listeners. And, and, and really, anyone who's been paying attention to the Ukraine debate, you know, knows that most of the talking heads that you see on TV are in the papers or, you know, on most radio stations, you know, not called the Scott Horton Show. Uh, you, you, you know, they're hearing from folks that, that are on the take of the defense industry. So what we tried to do was to see if our hunch was right. We did a big investigation of it. And what we found was that your hunch is absolutely right. All the talking heads you're hearing uh, are at least in part uh, on uh, or de facto uh, on the payroll of the uh, defense sector. Mm -hmm. And so the full PDF file is called Defense Contractor Funded Think Tanks Dominate Ukraine Debate. And so, look, I mean, it's just one pretty sharp peek into what President Eisenhower called the military-industrial complex. Of course, the military firms funnel the smallest percentage of their taxpayer revenue back into public relations to keep the whole thing going. Were they going to not do that? Of course they're <laughs> going to do that. But then it turns out that there's not really anybody else on the same ball field with them. So yeah. virtually all the foreign policy think tanks, with maybe a very few exceptions, are financed by Lockheed, Northrop Grumman, Raytheon, etc. Correct? I mean, what are the exceptions? I'm sure it'd be a lot shorter list. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was overwhelming when we started looking in at the funding of all these think tanks. And in, in fact, the top 10 ranked foreign policy think tanks, every single one of them takes uh, defense sector money. Uh, you know, if you go back out a, a little bit from that, you start looking at the top 25, still most of those, 78% so of those take defense sector money. Mm -hmm. And you do have a few exceptions, you know, places like the, the Quincy Institute, of course, we don't take any defense industry or DOD money. Um, places like the Independent Institute, Human Rights Watch, you know, folks like that. Uh, but most of the big players and, and really most of the folks uh, you hear on these big media outlets their, their employers are all funded by the defense industry. Mm -hmm. 
And now the Cokes, they do have interests, but not military ones. That's never been their deal. So right. the whole right. Coke to Puss is a bit independent from that. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and you know, f f folks like to point out uh, that the Quincy Institute is, is partially funded um, uh, through through Coke money. Um, but, the, you know, the Cokes have gotten out of Russia. You know, they they they. they, they uh, given up all their business interests there. So, you know, we at QI, we don't have a dog in the fight when it comes to the Ukraine war. We just want what's best for U.S. foreign policy. We want a lively debate about what's best for U.S. foreign policy. But what this report reveals is that the, the supposed public debate that we're having is a debate that is overwhelmingly biased towards defense industry interests. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, I know it would be naive. I understand the current system and everything, but this should be all completely blatant conflict of interest. This isn't just, geez, they sort of, you know, they have a bias. This is unbelievable that Lockheed gets to play this big of a role in setting the entire discussion of American foreign policy the way that they do. Right, right, right. Yeah, it, it, it's phenomenal. And that was another big thing that we found is, you know, not only is there all this defense sector money flowing to all these think tanks, that these think tanks, when they're producing articles, reports of their own that have direct financial benefits for those funders, and they're not disclosing it. So they're, they're putting out reports that, for example, recommend sending arms to Ukraine and specific arms made by specific people who we know specifically fund the think tank they work at. And yet in all these articles, these reports, they're just not disclosing that conflict of interest. And for us, at the very least, that they should be doing that in these articles and media outlets that, that are quoting them. You know, it's incumbent upon them when they're citing these articles and reports. Let your readers know that that expert you're citing who says we should send tanks or F-16s to Ukraine. Let your readers know that that person works at a place that's funded by the manufacturers of those weapons they recommend sending to Ukraine. Yeah. Or better yet, label it. This is a paid advertisement from this corporation and we're not even running it as an op-ed at all because it would be a conflict of interest you know i don't know um so can you go through first of all for the people not familiar which are the top 10 think tanks if you could do that off the top of your head and and who are the top funders of them yeah 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 good, <laughs> good question let's see if i can get the top 10 right uh the, the, it, i mean it's an interesting correlation here you know right off the bat our our, our, our top foreign policy think tanks are, are some probably household names for a lot of your your uh listeners places like the Center for Strategic and International Studies, the Center for a New American Security, uh, the Atlantic Council, uh, the Brookings Institution, the, the Council on Foreign Relations, RAND as well, which is uh, effectively the DOD's own th think tank. You know, it's almost uh, a, a majority of its money is funded by DOD itself. Um, so in all of these places are all the top foreign policy think tanks, but every single one of those think tanks I just mentioned there, they take big, big money from the defense sector. You know, the Atlanta Council and CSIS, for example, they, they, they were our sort of, uh, you know, prime examples in the report of, of think tanks where we're seeing this process go on, where they're heavily funded by the defense sector, defense contractors. 
And they're heavily quoted in media outlets. In fact, they were the top two, you, you know, most quoted media outlets uh, that, that we found related to the Ukraine war. And over and over again, we saw scholars at those think tanks recommending that the U.S. provide weapons uh, to Ukraine that would directly financially benefit the funders of their think tank. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you watch your mouth or the Atlantic Council will get you kicked off of Twitter for misinformation. <laughs> They'll have PolitiFact fact check your article and see whether they like every bit of it or not. I, I, I welcome them to, you, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm a researcher. And so, you know, we we did our due diligence on it. This report was four months in the making. And so, you know, we painstakingly went through all of these articles. We looked at more than a thousand different uh, articles uh, that, where think tanks have been cited. We looked at the Atlanta Council's publications, uh, you know, droves of them, CSIS, same thing, all these think tanks. Uh, you know, we did our due diligence. So, you know, I welcome anybody to take a look at the report and, you know, if they've got questions, you know, uh, uh, they, they can bring them to me. I'm happy to discuss that. But no, the, they'll just the accuse day. you of being a Russian plant and leave it at that. They'll say this yeah. is disinformation and they won't have to demonstrate it. And the, and the Atlantic Council, I mean, really, I'm just making a crack about the role that they've played in the censorship industry since the invention of Russiagate and COVID and the Ukraine war, that they've been really central to who's allowed to discuss the policies that they demand that's at right. the behest of these arms salesmen. That's right. And, and, and that's really how this think tank eco chamber uh, and, and funding enterprise works. It, you know, at the end of the day. These, these are multi-million dollar, they're, they're ostensibly nonprofit organizations, right? Think tanks are. But some of these think tanks, like the, the Brookings Institution, for example, they, they have a budget that's almost $100 million. And so when you're trying to fill those coffers, you at some level, you have to be beholden to your funders. And, and those funders, they're, they're just not going to keep giving you money if you say things that they don't like. So this whole system, then it becomes sort of Darwinian and, then, you know, it's a survival of the funded. So if, if you don't play ball with, with these big money funders, with these defense contractors who in some cases are giving millions of dollars to these think tanks, uh, if, if you as a scholar there uh, keep saying things that they don't like, you will get fired. You will lose your job or that think tank will stop receiving money from that defense contractor. And that think tank, in some cases, think tanks go out of business because funders, uh, they, they pull the money they're providing to them. So all of this helps to create this sort of funding ecosystem that results in an eco chamber that benefits the, the, the defense sector. Mm -hmm. um, many, and I love how in your study here you have footnotes to all their crazy hawkish articles too <laughs> yeah. uh, demonstrating your case all right so i have a fun anecdote from a long time ago it's uh, richard cummings i think we probably talked about this before because it's one of the few anecdotes i remember um richard cummings wrote this great article for playboy.com in 2007 called lockheed stock and two smoking barrels and it was <laughs> about you know everybody always emphasized the neoconservatives' ties to Likud. And he said, yeah, yeah, but look at their ties to Lockheed and how so many of, especially the Bush administration, neocons in the vice president's office and the Defense Department, the National Security Council and so forth, mm -hmm. that these guys, including Dick Cheney's wife, was on the board of directors of Lockheed. And so many of these guys were directly tied to it. 
And then he told the history of how, and I can never remember the plane. I know I need to memorize it for my anecdote. But they had developed this plane in the 70s that was supposed to compete with a DC-10 or a 737, I guess. And it didn't. I think Delta bought a few of them, and then it was a flop. Nobody wanted the plane. And they'd spent a couple of billion dollars developing the thing. And so they said, well, that's it. We're just not going to compete in the market anymore. We're going to target the Pentagon only as our one and only captive customer. Mm -hmm. And then we'll just emphasize, you know, put all of our engineering and development into controlling Congress and gerrymandering house districts and <laughs> financing think tanks. And yeah. they even held a meeting where they said, you know, even if with just the one customer, if we don't set the policy, how are we going to know what kind of weapons to build? So we need to come up with what the policy is. That way we know whether we should build tanks for the sand or tanks for the woods or tanks for the what. And so that's just how it goes. It makes perfect sense from their point of view. It's perfectly rational. It's just that somebody's supposed to be organized to stop them, but they're not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because everybody here is incentive. There's a financial incentive to not stop them and to just, you know, become part of, of, of this complex. And at the end of the day, you know, I think it's very disingenuous to to call Lockheed a private company. This is crony capitalism. This is a company that, you know, has the one customer, like you mentioned, the vast, vast majority of their revenue comes from that one customer. And then they spend literally tens of millions, in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars a year trying to influence that customer, to try and influence the foreign policy debate to to benefit their bottom line. And the result of it all is is a U.S. foreign policy that is way more militarized than it would otherwise be. Yeah, hang on just one second. Hey, y'all, the audiobook of my book, Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism, is finally done. Yes, of course, read by me. It's available at Audible, Amazon, Apple Books, and soon on Google Play and whatever other options there are out there. It's my history of America's war on terrorism from 1979 through today. Give it a listen and see if you agree. It's time to just come home. Enough already. Time to end the war on terrorism. The audiobook. Hey guys, I've had a lot of great webmasters over the years, but the team at expanddesigns.com have by far been the most competent and reliable. Harley Abbott and his team have made great sites for the show and the Institute, and they keep them running well, suggesting and making improvements all along. Make a deal with expanddesigns.com for your new business or news site. They will take care of you. Use the promo code SCOTT and save $500. That's expanddesigns.com. Man, I wish I was in school so I could drop out and sign up for Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom instead. Tom has done such a great job on putting together a classical curriculum for everyone from junior high schoolers on up through the postgraduate level. And it's all very reasonably priced. Just make sure you click through from the link in the right margin at scotthorton.org. Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom. Real history, real economics, real education. All right, so tell me, um, which are the biggest arms industry uh, brand names that we know besides Lockheed? Are they still the top of the heap when it comes to spending on this kind of thing? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lockheed is still, you know, far and away number one. Um, uh, you, you know, you know, when it comes to think tank funding, though, some of the big players are some of the other top five. Uh, you know, folks like uh, Raytheon, uh, Northrop Grumman, uh, General Dynamics. They were big, big funders too. You know, millions of dollars every year uh, going from these folks to to think tanks. And so, you, you know, Lockheed's certainly not the only player here. Um, you know, all these other folks are are doing this too. And I think in, in all these cases, we're able to identify whether, you know, whether it's Lockheed, Northrop Grumman, or whether we're able to identify in, in this report, in, in forthcoming articles too, how that those specific funders and funding think tanks, those think tanks are recommending specific weapons that are made by those specific funders. This is not even like a blanket thing that these think tanks are, are just, you know, calling for a more militarized foreign policy. Right. In, in many, many cases that we document in the report, those think tanks are explicitly calling for the weapons made by these specific firms that fund them. And so, you know, it's just it's hard to imagine that all of this is just coincidental and that like, oops, you know, I'm sorry. I just keep recommending over and over uh, the, the product that you make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll never forget uh, General McCaffrey shilling Bradley fighting vehicles during Iraq War Two, even though, you know, they had, I guess, very lightly armored bottoms and were quite susceptible to IEDs, and he's still going, no, we got to get those Bradleys over there. More Bradleys, more Bradleys. Right. Yeah, right. he's on the board of directors of the company that made the Bradleys, right. and they never said that. Yeah, speaking of the Iraq War, too, Scott, one of my one of my favorite new examples of this process is uh, is Elliot Cohen. Who, who was famously one of the uh, one of the neocons back in the Bush administration, who you know was seemingly clamoring for Iraq War II. You know, wrote articles about you know how how it would be. You know, one we article a big study for Heritage about how we're going to privatize all their oil for our cronies and get this bankrupt the Saudis and take right. over OPEC. Right, really right. smart guy. Yeah, but and, and now he's back again talking about the Ukraine war. You know, he, he's a uh, uh, he's a scholar at uh, CSIS now, and he's opining now about the Ukraine war and how the, the U.S. you know needs to provide him with all these weapons and everything. But you, you you go through what he's recommending, and all the weapons he's recommending the U.S. give to Ukraine are made by firms that fund his employer CSIS. And none of this is disclosed in the articles he's writing about this. And, you know, I, I flagged this for the, the article as a piece in The Atlantic. Um, I flagged it for him on Twitter. Um, he, he had a snarky tweet at me that he deleted. Uh, but but in all these cases, you, you know, he is he's recommending these things that could very well lead to an escalation of the war, drag the U.S. into it without disclosing what I think is a very clear conflict of interest here. Mm-hmm. You know, I met a leftist one time years ago who said that, you know, America is not even really a place. America is just where foreigners come and hire this giant mercenary army to do their dirty work for them. (laughs) And which makes sense. You know, like there are anecdotes of the Saudis and the Kuwaitis talking about forward march, white trash slave, you know, like all of a sudden who's the, you know, Americans can be very racist against Arabs. But it's like, hey, wait a minute. What did he just call me? You know, Um, yeah. But then, so it's the same kind of thing with, um, it's the same kind of thing with these arms manufacturers too, where the idea of any sort of patriotism 
or sense of, you know, responsibility in this society at all or for its future at all or just have absolutely nothing to do with any consideration here. And, you know, they would just rather continue to fight forever until America's destroyed because it's in it for them in the short term interest. It makes sense, you know. Right, right, 100%. For, for them, war is a business. War is literally their business. You know, they make money when wars occur. And they even tell their stockholders this on earnings calls. You know, my colleague Eli Clifton has documented this over and over, mm-hmm. how they have publicly stated they're looking at the Ukraine war uh, as a business opportunity. And the, the, the problem is that th- this creates this militarized U.S. response to this war, which is absolutely not what U.S. citizens want. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to spoil some forthcoming uh, Quincy Institute uh, public opinion work that, that, that we have coming out in, in a couple of weeks. But uh, basically what we found in it was that Americans overwhelmingly, they want the U.S. to pursue a diplomatic solution to this war. You know, they, they don't want this war to keep going on. They want the U.S. to, to do more, to try to get all parties to come to the table uh, to end this thing peacefully without keeping it going and keeping the risks of all these other bad things happening out there. So where, where the American public uh, you know, has a more restrained foreign policy view here. The defense contractors keep pushing this militarized narrative for, for the Ukraine war. Right. Well, so what do we do about it? Who is organized to stop them other than you and Eli, who I've been <laughs> relying on for so many years? Yeah. <laughs> uh, my colleague, Bill Hartung, too. All, all my colleagues. That's right. Call- Institute are wonderful. But Bill Hartung actually has a new report coming out, too, on the waste in, in the overall Pentagon budget that I think all your listeners would love, too. Um, you, you, you know, we're trying, uh, you know, th- there are a few other good groups. I mentioned the Independent Institute uh, earlier. They're wonderful. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, we've got Chris Preble uh, and, and those folks over at the Stimson Center now. Uh, you know, our friends at the Cato Institute, uh, you know, and a few other places, too. There are still some good voices here uh, in, in, in this space. But I think what we need to do is we've got to get those folks out there. You know, we've got to get more of those folks talking, uh, you know, to folks like you and media outlets. And, you know, we need to find some way to to get our voices, you know, wedge the door into some of these mainstream media outlets. So, you know, we can go head to head in these po- policy debates in places like the New York Times, the, the Post, and, you know, get on CNN, you know, get us on Fox News. Um, because if we don't do that, then at the end of the day, we're not having a public debate on, on the Ukraine war. We're having a public echo chamber. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because it sounds kind of utopian, but also completely basic and rational at the same time to me that the way it should work is whatever American firms are required to make tanks and fighting vehicles and armaments for our military, that they would all be required to do that, not at cost plus, but at cost. That's it. And if they want to make their profits, they're going to have to make their profits in other sectors. That's what made them successful manufacturing firms in the first place. But when it comes to arming up the military... Well, that's your patriotic duty. And if we really have a crisis overseas that we have to meet, then I'm sure General Motors won't mind turning out some tanks at cost 
I mean, and after all, hey, at least at cost, it's not like the guys, uh, we're not covering the salaries of the guys putting the tanks together. But no, you don't get to profit from that. And no, you don't get to buy advertisements on TV to make NBC beholden to you. And you don't get to fund the think tanks that hire the Kagans to dominate the discussion on all of these wars. You know, right. it's just completely bananas. I mean, I think if you just grabbed any average person anywhere and said, do you think that Northrop Grumman and the Kagan's consensus should always be the choice of the U.S. government in who we kill and what they do overseas and all these things? Just makes no sense. Robert Kagan runs PNAC. His wife runs CNES. Yeah. And she was Dick Cheney's. Middle East advisor there for a while, or national security advisor for a while. Before she went, she's been working for the Democrats ever since then. Mm -hmm. It's completely bananas. And why? It's simply because some arms dealers said, hey, we really like the cut of her jib. You know, <laughs> there's got to be more to it than that. You know, it should not be this way. Everyone could tell you, anyone could tell you, it should not be like this. Right, right. I mean, it, it, it's folks like that that are that they make the job of the defense contractors easy because they, you, you know, when they're funding folks like that, they, they don't have to censor them. They, you know, they don't have to tell them, you know, say this and say that. They, they've already hired them in, in the first place because they know they're going to say the things that they want. And so that's why when when we think about think tank funding, everybody thinks like, oh, well, you know, it's going to. It's going to bias people. It's going to, you know, we're going to have some, you know, some censorship scandal. Most of the time, what they're doing here, they're just controlling who gets a microphone and who doesn't. Yeah. You know, they, they get to effectively have a veto on who becomes the head of these think tanks, who are the most prominent scholars, who get the most media coverage. Mm -hmm. And because they have all their people in place to begin with. They don't have to do the outright censorship just because they control the, the think tank environment so much. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, there's the famous clip. I mean, there's I'm sure other examples, too, but there's the famous clip of Noam Chomsky telling the British interviewer who's saying, oh, you just think that I'm faking it and I don't believe the things I'm saying. And Chomsky's like, no, man, I'm just saying that they hired you because you are who you are and you believe the things that you believe. And that's why you're the one sitting in the chair asking me these questions in the first place. Don't you get it? And he's like, oh, yeah, I guess that does make sense. <laughs> I forget exactly what he says, but it's basically like, yeah, OK. But so let me ask you this then. What about George Soros and the Quincy Institute? I think I read a thing that says that uh, the Cokes and Soros were, uh, you know, in fact, it was a bit of a scandal in the first place, I guess, that the Cokes and Soros were teaming up in what seemed like the best way to some of us in the uh, way that worried people uh, when you guys, when the Quincy Institute was first founded. But I think I read that George Soros got mad about y'all's stance on Ukraine and said he wasn't going to fund y'all anymore. Is that right? Oh, I'm I'm not familiar with that. Uh, I guess that's uh, I, no, I I I haven't heard that, so I, I can't really speak to that. Um, but I can tell you, you, you know, more generally about uh, you know working at an organization that that does have Soros and Coke funding. And, and by the way, I was at an organization before Quincy. I was at the Center for International Policy, which also you know had money from both uh, uh, received funding from both Soros and uh, and Coke. And it, I'll tell you, in both places. It's the same. I would always get, you know, the Twitter trolls come at you. You know, everybody's, you know, ridiculing that and everything. At the end of the day, I, I have never once had either of those organizations 
censor anything, tell me I couldn't say something or tell me I had to do something, whatever. None of that. They've exerted no control or or, or restraint over the work that I've done. And the reason for that is simple. Those organizations, they're, they're pursuing peace. They're pursuing diplomacy. They're pursuing a more restrained U.S. foreign policy. And that's exactly what those organizations are funding them to do. And so, you, you know, to, just like in a sense, you know, how Lockheed Martin is funding some of these think tanks to pursue, advocate for a more militarized uh, U.S. foreign policy, um, you, you know, folks like George Soros and, 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 and the Kochs, you know, they want a more restrained foreign policy. And that's why they fund the work that we do. And so, you, you know, is there a bias in our work because of that funding? Yes, it's a bias towards restraint. And that's what they want. And that's certainly what we want, too. And, you know, from the beginning, I stuck up for you guys because all this is is Jim Loeb's blog, plus my best friends from the American Conservative magazine and so forth. People that we've been running on Antiwar.com for 20 years and more. Um, So, you know, Eli Clifton and Kelly Vallejos and all you great people. I mean, Eli is one of the co-founders of the thing. That's right. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and of yeah, course, I'll Andrew Basevich and Trita Parsi. I've, I've known Trita for 15, 20 years, something like that now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I really viewed the Quincy Institute uh, when Bill Hartung and I joined together. You know, I felt like it was, it was like we were joining the Avengers late in the game. <laughs> you know, besides, it was like the, the, the Avengers of uh, a, a, a peaceful, restraint oriented folks. You know, it's, it's a great collection of people from, you know, across the ideological spectrum, all kinds of backgrounds. But I, I think all doing just really kick butt work. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I Googled it while you were talking, and I can't find it. So I don't know where the hell I got that. I thought that I had remembered that Soros was complaining about, you know, the little mini scandal when Joe Cirincione went and turned coat and started complaining about Quincy in the media and so forth. I thought that Soros had made a, a comment then, but I guess I might have been wrong about that. But um, And, yeah, you know what? As long as we're at it, go ahead and go through that list again because there's so many great people that write for the Quincy Institute, including our own Ted Snyder from time to time. Yeah. And, um, yeah, Ted, I mean, uh, you mentioned Bill Hartung there. Yeah. Yeah. Bill Hartung, uh, Ben Armbruster, um, my colleagues, Anatole Levin and George Beebe, you know, these are guys that, you know, just career folks, you know, understanding what's going on in Russia and Eastern Europe. Um, you know, the, the level of expertise, you know, is astounding. Uh, that that responsible statecraft gets, and, and and you know they're getting it over and over and over again because it it's one of the few places that you can turn to for an objective look at U.S. foreign policy, and where you have people that you know they're not biased by the defense sector. You know we don't take any defense industry funding, and so you're gonna get analyses at responsible statecraft that you're really you're not gonna see in a lot of other places. Got that right. Good thing, too. All right. And with that, I'll let you go, man. Thank you so much for your time on the show and for all your great work. Always a pleasure, Scott. And and thank you for this show. It's much needed. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. All right, you guys, that's Ben Freeman. He's at Quincy. It's responsiblestatecraft.org. How weapons firms influence the Ukraine debate and the actual study itself. Oh, no, I got to rewind to the top. The actual study itself is called Defense Contractor Funded Think Tanks dominate ukraine debate may 2023 quincy brief number 41 excellent stuff
the Scott Horton Show and Anti-War Radio can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, APSRadio.com, Antiwar.com, ScottHorton.org, and LibertarianInstitute.org.